Hello and welcome to the Six Tone Podcast, bringing you fresh voices from today's China. We're coming to you from Shanghai, and I am Chen Jinghua. And I'm Kevin Schumachers. For today's episode, we're looking at Black Panther race and representation in China. You get to decide what kind of king you are going to be. Joining us today is Naisha Davis, a Shanghai-based freelance writer and Six Tone contributor, who recently wrote a commentary for us: "Can Black Panther change Chinese attitudes toward race?" Naisha, what was your immediate impression of the film? I thought that it was very well done. I thought that it was very funny. There were a lot of really great cultural references, mainly pertaining to different African cultures. A lot of really great nuances that I thought were good to sprinkle in. And I thought that it was very, very worth the hype, and lived up to a lot of the hype that it's been getting. Yeah, the movie has undeniably become a, a cultural milestone in the U.S. How has it been received here in China? In Shanghai, people were very excited. There were parties and events, and you know, outings and things like that. It was very, very well received by a great portion of the expat community. Quotesum actually published two articles recently on the response to the film in China、uh, that were discussed quite a lot among China watchers, at least. And the first one by Echo Huang quoted reactions on Douban, a website that's similar to IMDb, which had people saying that the movie was quote just too black. That article was criticised for taking just you know a few online comments, some of which were actually talking about the lighting and effects in the film being too dark and presenting it as a majority opinion on race. So they then published a second article by Jeff Young that sort of challenged that view and argued that Hollywood is in part responsible for racism worldwide because for so long it's failed to produce. Authentic portrayals of Black people, or market such films overseas. What do you think of that argument? I think that Hollywood, of course, has a part in it. It doesn't just extend to Black people. I mean, Hollywood and people who are in positions of power and positions of being able to create these movies and television shows and things like that. They have historically had a very big problem with portrayals of Black people, Asian people, women, whoever else. So of course, you know, Hollywood has a part to play in it. However, they can't be the scapegoat because people are individuals. We all have to play our part in how we treat each other, the type of things that we believe, the type of media we intake. And how we allow that to influence our thoughts regarding each other. Yeah, when it comes to、um, race and racism in China, there's one school of thought that I hear a lot, which is that most Chinese people are just simply unaware of such issues because China is such a racially homogenous country. And it doesn't have a history of structural racism, for example, slavery or segregation laws like in the U.S. and Europe. And so, then when they do or say something racist, it comes from ignorance rather than malice. Where do you stand on that perspective? I agree that you know things like that can definitely come from ignorance rather than malice. However, I think that we have personal responsibility to you know kind of move beyond that. I don't know if I'm speaking out of turn because I'm not Chinese. I'm not from China, but you know it seems like China, for instance, is trying to continuously be more global. It's up to all of us to move beyond just saying you can't just use ignorance as a crutch forever. It's up to us to kind of, and I mean us as people in general, to kind of. 
evolve. Right, and then another side of the argument is that when foreigners are racist toward Chinese people, they themselves seem very quick to respond, and rightly so, call for apologies. Two recent cases that I can remember that we wrote about at Six Tone are an Argentinian soccer player who was photographed making a slanted eye gesture, and an American basketball player who people thought had called Chinese fans chinks. Do you think this shows that Chinese people are actually well aware of race and racist issues? I think that in general, people of any race or nationality or background are going to be more aware of things that negatively impact them first. That's just part of human nature, I think. So yes, of course, to a certain extent, Chinese people are in fact well aware of racial issues, but I also think that a person can be aware of racist things or instances that are happening to them while still doing things that are racist towards other people. And I think that we are multifaceted and we all can juggle and you can call out and want respect for yourself and want to be treated in a certain way while also checking yourself to make sure that you're not also engaging in those problematic things towards people of a different race or of a different culture. I don't think that is too much to ask. You said in your article, Naisha, that as a black American woman, while you experience systemic racial discrimination at home in the US, in China you've encountered cruder and more explicit discrimination. And on Facebook as well, a lot of Six Tone readers shared their stories of seeing job ads explicitly requesting Caucasians, for example, microaggressions and harassment on public transport, like people touching their hair. You've lived in quite a few places around the world. How has race played out in these different contexts? Yes, I've lived here in China. I've also lived in South Korea and I've lived in Holland as well. I mean, white supremacy kind of like touches a lot of different places and the ways in which it plays out are different. I do, for instance, have a certain amount of privilege sometimes here, but that privilege, for instance, is usually tied to the fact that I'm an American and not tied to the fact that I am black. The biggest thing here, for instance, would be a lot of jobs calling for, you know, people that are white. It felt even more pronounced in South Korea, to be quite honest. And you see it when people, you know, they want to see pictures and things like that. But then at the same time, sometimes in my experience, it has felt like certain people were like, you know, scared of us or had heard these negative stereotypes and things like that. But then other people, sometimes it's like this cool factor, which also, you know, happens in the U.S. It's kind of like, I don't want to curse. <laughs> <laughs> It's kind of like, you know, people love black culture, but they don't like black people. Some people think that, you know, oh, your hair is cool, or oh, you can dance well, or oh, I like your food, but it's disheartening if I feel as if, you know, I can't get a job or getting a job is harder. A Russian person who cannot conjugate a verb has the upper hand because their skin is white or whatever. Um, I lived in Holland for a little bit. I had a great time there, but um, they do blackface there as well. And, you know, I had a great time as an American, but 
for instance, if I was from Suriname, which I think was, was like a former Dutch colony, I had friends who were not necessarily treated the best, who felt like they didn't necessarily have, from what they were saying, the greatest access to resources and things like that or what have you. I think sometimes the discrimination and things like that, it's just different depending on who it's coming from or who it's going towards. Yeah, you mentioned the, uh, the blackface in the Netherlands. I grew up in the Netherlands and every year, 5th of December, we have a holiday which is called Sinterklaas and it's like a Santa Claus kind of figure who comes with lots of gifts and he has helpers. At least used to be, they were all painted in blackface. And when I was a child, I was told that they go on the roofs, supposedly, and go through people's chimneys to deliver the gifts in people's houses and then go out again. And so that they're, the fact that they were black because they had to go in and out of chimneys all the time. But actually, it's totally blackface. But it's only been in recent years that this has been discussed. It used to never come up and was just widely accepted as something we do. And now in recent years, I haven't been in the Netherlands uh, during that time for years, but from what I can tell from the news now, these black peats are being painted in all kinds of uh, colors. So now there will be green peats and blue peats and red peats. So it's definitely not a, um, a thing that only China is sort of waking up to. It's uh, a worldwide problem still. It's interesting what you said about black culture being popular without it necessarily leading to more respect for black people, because I think in Asia, in, definitely in South Korea and China, hip hop is becoming increasingly popular and a lot of the aesthetics and design and I guess like intellectual property associated with hip hop. What do you think of that? I think that that happens worldwide. It's not just here. That has been happening for years and years and years in the U.S. where I'm from. I don't know what, if anything, can be done about that. It's very disrespectful, uh, it, or it feels disrespectful. It feels very disheartening and uh, kind of silly in some ways, you know? Naisha, your article also mentions Chinese aesthetics, that people in China prefer to have a lighter skin, for example. How, how do you think that influences views on race? I think that it influences how we treat ourselves, our own self-esteem, and how we then treat each other as people of color. I kind of feel like in some ways, when it comes to these issues, black people have the same issues with wanting historically lighter skin, straighter hair, more European features generally. And where I come from, that has a lot to do with the treatment and the opportunities that one can get and are generally afforded the closer they assimilate and are to whiteness. I am not Chinese, so I can only do it from the outside looking in, but it feels like we're kind of like sometimes cousins in that. And I really rebel against this idea that in order to be considered pretty or attractive or what have you, you have to have light skin or wider eyes or whatever else, things like that. And when I think of these things, I think it's more detrimental to us like on a personal level. It feels like self-hatred to me. So when you have self-hatred, then it affects yourself. It affects how you treat other people out here in the world. And it kind of feels like it's one of those things that is kind of like why certain other things in the culture prevail, like wanting or thinking that only white people come from Europe or America and then wanting only a white teacher or what have you, things like that. I think it then kind of like infests your other ways of thinking and moving within societies. Thank you, Naisha, for joining us today. You can read Can Black Panther Change Chinese Attitudes Toward Race on our website, sixtone.com. That's S-I-X-T-H-T-O-N-E.com. 
Thanks for listening. I'm Kevin Swimakos. And I'm Tianjin Hua. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and tune in for the next episode in a fortnight. Thanks for listening.